Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources with Boyd Matheson. A new BYU study has come out with some surprising findings and could lead to critical conversations about our own perceptions and biases when it comes to how we view other people, especially those who are different than we are. Uh, The study found that political messaging aimed at humanizing marginalized groups is not all that effective, does little to change minds and increase empathy. We want to dig into that. Why is that? How do we change that conversation? Really pleased to have joining us on the program today, Joshua Gubler, an assistant professor of political science at BYU, where he teaches courses on the Middle East, research methods, and other topics. His research focuses on intergroup cooperation and conflict with particular emphasis on the conflict in the Middle East. And that is a fascinating piece in and of itself. Uh, But uh, Professor Gubler, we appreciate you joining us. And and so give us just a little bit of the backstory in terms of media messaging, trying to humanize out groups and what works and what doesn't and why. Thanks, Boyd. I'm uh, happy to join you and uh, excited for the conversation here. So we know from previous research that one way to improve attitudes towards marginalized outgroups is in-person interaction um, that's positive, that, that counters st- negative stereotypes. Um, in recent years, people have attempted to use large-scale media approaches like documentaries and other types of messaging on social media and um, um, other, other internet platforms to try to generate the same type of empathy and stereotype-busting ability in those types of messages that you can get in in in-person um, interaction, and we want to do that because it's it's you can just reach a lot more people, right? If you're interested in prejudice reduction, this is a great right. way to reach a lot more people. Uh, the standard, you know, we've we've just kind of assumed it works. Because when we produce documentaries or these types of messages, they often get a lot of critical acclaim. But the challenge that we have that we find is that that acclaim typically comes from what we're calling the choir, right? People right. who already hold pretty positive attitudes, um, and that it and that the people, the the documentary or whatever it was, was actually designed to target, right, to try and decrease prejudice levels typically end up showing no response or even a kickback response mm. to that. Yeah, and that's so I want to get into that. That was one of the things that really jumped out to me is that this this whole idea of dissonance, that that unpleasant thing when you realize uh-oh, 
maybe I'm wrong, or maybe this monster right. I created in my mind of this person that I don't like or this group of people, uh, that's a very uncomfortable moment. So kind of walk us through that. What happens, and does that just cause us to shut down and shut off, uh, or as you said, to kind of even push back? Yeah. So all of us really understand the world through the lens of our own lived experience. That's the only way we can. Right. Um, and we construct images of self and others based on that, and they're deeply tied to meaning and value for us. And so when I receive information that a group that I've compared myself against or have, have negative attitudes towards actually might not be that, it, it, it challenges my sense of self. Um, and in, in doing that, it creates these uncomfortable feelings, right? The feelings that we ask people about are their feelings of unease or how tense they are or uncomfortable. Um, and that's a natural human response. Now, what happens typically when we, when we experience those feelings is it happens, can happen kind of at an at a unconscious and very quick level. And we, we have a choice, right? What do we do with that? Most of us, most of the time, unfortunately, just try to get rid of them as quickly as we can. Right. And uh, we do that often by retrenching in the initial beliefs that, that we had, right? Convincing ourselves, well, maybe this new piece of information comes from an untrustworthy source, or maybe it is actually faulty because of this or that, or um, maybe the 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 outgroup member that has just been targeted here is an exception. I, I can see them as human, but others really aren't quite as human. And so I'm actually ultimately right. All of those things get rid of dissonance, but don't lead to attitude change. Um, and all of those approaches are, you know, remarkably common. And, and so in that way, it's, it's when we deal with dissonance um, in that particular way that we, that it disrupts the empathy that was generated from the message to begin with. Yeah, oh, that is so important. And I, uh, we often frame that in terms of uh, kind of preemptively saying, look, we got to get, we have to get comfortable with the uncomfortable. Uh, we have right. to, we have to get beyond the, the instant certainty of the world that we live in from social media to cable news and everything in between uh, that often causes us, uh, as I was listening to you describe that, Professor, I, I just kept thinking, oh, so often we see people double down because they had to be instantly yeah. certain about something and then they had to use contempt to describe oh. the other group. Uh, and now in the in the face of possibly being wrong, uh, they act. They have no space uh, for empathy. They can only double down on on uh, what they initially reacted to. Right, and that breaks the chain. Then, right, the chain yeah. that should go from empathy towards, you know, a, a more tolerant, expanded view of others is disrupted then by dissonance that gets in between those pieces. Yeah, and so let's uh, let's get to you. You phrased it as the uh, the million dollar question. It might be the hundred million dollar question. <laughs> And that right. is how do, how do we how do we use that humanization? How do we use that connection to empathy? Uh, how do we get past the dissonance and the uncomfortable uh, to get to where we can actually change the dynamic in some of those relations? So one of the ways that I often do this interpersonally is by alerting people that they will feel dissonance as we talk about yeah. certain things. Um, 
and helping kind of normalize that and saying, when you do deal with it, here are some ways to deal with it constructively rather than kick back. Because often this is just unconscious. It's You feel the negative affect, those feelings, they kind of predispose you to, to kick back, and you do all of that unconsciously. If we can help people recognize it consciously, then they're less likely to, to do that kickback. Yeah, so important. Right. Yeah. So as, yeah. You, as you push that forward, uh, what, what's on the horizon? What are you going to test next uh, in terms of how do we break down some of those barriers so that we can get to that uh, higher ground conversation? Well, one of the ways we're doing this is we, we've run a series of recent experiments where instead of trying to present people with information saying, hey, you're wrong about this group of people, they actually are human and they're human in this way or that, we're instead approaching people and saying, tell us your experiences with uh, members of this outgroup. We know you dislike them, but you might have had a couple of positives. Um, can you tell us something about that? Um, and, and working with people's lived experience rather than trying to force external experience upon them, um, we have found some initial success with. Oh, that's great. Uh, Joshua Gubler is the Assistant Professor of Political Science at BYU, where he teaches a course on the Middle East. I want to have you back, Professor, to really dig into conflict in the Middle East. I'm sure you're finding some very interesting application uh, for a lot of this in many of those uh, centuries-old uh, grievances in the Middle East, uh, which would be fascinating. Uh, but this is important research. Uh, and again, uh, BYU uh, has just put out uh, this really interesting space in terms of uh, outgroups, how you humanize that, how you combat prejudice. Uh, this is a real crucial conversation, and uh, I love the way, Professor, you're getting people to get comfortable with the uncomfortable, uh, and that's where we all need to get. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. Have a great day. All right. Again, that's uh, Professor Joshua Gubler uh, from BYU Political Science. And this is really important research. It ties into so many of the things that we're trying to get the conversation to. Uh, and we're going to continue to try to do that here on this show to get out of the bubble, stay curious, get past the instant certainty, uh, and look for the good. Uh, my dad would always say, if you want to get the best out of others, you got to see the best in others. It's a good place for us to start. That wraps up hour number one of Inside Sources here on KSL News Radio. After top of the hour news, we'll come back with hour number two. Stick around on KSL News Radio. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind, only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do? in the face of an international disaster decades in the making. That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.